The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. I'm Thomas Salerno, and joining me today on the panel are Caitlin Fasista. Hello, Caitlin. Hi, thanks for having me. And Thomas Sanjurjo. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> and Jeff Hecker. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Thomas. And be sure to follow The Secrets of Middle-Earth on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any directory or app. And you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter, where we are at SQPN. We're on Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. Now, today we are talking about the Lords of Arda, the Valar. But before we dive in, um, as we're recording this, some new uh, information came out that apparently Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema have just struck a deal that would allow them to create new movies set in Middle Earth, uh, apparently independently of what Amazon is doing with Rings of Power. Now, my first thought was, well, that's great news for the podcast because it means we're going to have more <laughs> Tolkien cinematic content to review in the future. Plenty but I just wanted to talk about <laughs> exactly. So I just wanted to throw out to the panel. What, what do you guys think about this announcement? They're, they're thin on details yet, but what, what's your gut reaction? <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I just, as long as they don't try and do like a reboot, but uh, that's, no, I'm, I'm yeah. really worried about them. Like trying to say, Oh, let's, let's do some, let's do it, an updated version of something. And it's like, no, there's just no, don't touch the stuff that's already been done because it's, it's varying levels of good, but it's done. And I think I heard that they're not even going to consider that, that it's just going to be new material perhaps set in the same universe maybe not but we'll see yeah i mean i'm i'm excited for it because as i've said more multiple times the films are kind of my entry point into really getting becoming a fan of tolkien so i'm 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 hopeful that they'll they'll do something you know good with it um i know there's there's been lots of different varying pitches for spinoffs of both of lord of the rings and other you know, other things in the legendarium. So I think one that's been around for a while was like a young Aragorn show or, or a young Aragorn something, or, or even something about his father, which I think there was a fan made movie about Aragorn's father that came out a while back. Um, I, oh I, yeah. It's on I YouTube. I think. Yeah. I haven't watched it or anything, but yeah, something like that could be cool or seeing like some, you know, maybe some of these other parts of the war of the, the, the war of the rings um, could be interesting. And, from I did read something. I think that Peter Jackson is a consultant on it. I could be wrong on that, but I think he might be somehow involved at some some level. So there, there's lots of great stories that could be made into really epic movies. My worry is that they try and get too big with them. Like I want them to focus on tiny little things, like the story of the Black Blade and just following it along that would be really cool like that would be a really neat plot point and just follow that just sit don't you know it's going to get into the wars it's going to get into all this other stuff but that should all be backdrop to like just following the black blade you know or little things like that that you could do you could just really take like two or three kind of throwaway lines from the from the the silmarillion and just blow it way out and make a huge epic tail out of it and that would be really neat and i'd love to see it in different directors hands too i think that would be a lot of fun to kind of see like different takes on the world but with that sort of cohesive uh concept of what peter jackson kind of did with the original movies see i would really like to see different like completely different approaches like different artistic styles different types of movies like I know the war of the Rohirrim is going to be animated so like you know jumping into all different kinds of animation styles like I I don't want it to feel like the Marvel movies like 
the Marvel Cinematic mm. Universe, you know, where everything fits together. It's all the same style. It's just basically like you're watching. It's almost like a TV show at this point because there are so many of them. But I would really, really like to see just different people just having their shot at it and seeing what they come up with and not feeling the need to be consistent. Um, but I, I get how it makes sense that it might probably be consistent, but I don't know. I just think it would be really cool to see. No, I think, yeah, I think definitely. Tolkien-esque is my, is my requirement for though. Ah. though. That's, that's my, <laughs> that's my worry. It's like, if you give too much, too much creative license, it's going to end up being this kind of deviation from the original, like the high fantasy of Lord of the Rings. And that's what I really want preserved is that more like, elves are archetypal and even if you take that and you like really push it to its boundary and say like okay well what if we had an archetypal bad guy elf uh that's that's cool but you want you want to maintain that consistency of like elves elves aren't living in the dirt (laughs) that's not how the elves are and because then you end up then you end up like looking like okay well elves dwarves and humans that looks just like the witcher so right yeah yeah, where do we differentiate the two? And that's one one thing I think that The Witcher has done this really cool thing of carving out its own space of it's grimy, it's dirty, it's real, and it doesn't feel the same as Lord of the Rings at all, which is really interesting because it's got the same essentially, you know, palette of characters to work with. Yeah, it it it's definitely got to have that Tolkien feel, right? Like which I, I think for, for all its flaws, you know, Rings of Power, you know, usually hits very well, you know, of being that kind of high fantasy setting and having that that feel and those those themes that resonate. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to think. I'm just hoping they don't overplay it because I, mm. every franchise like this risks franchise fatigue. And that's probably like, like, okay, I'll never get tired of watching Lord of the Rings stuff, but I just feel like somebody on Twitter, I wish I could attribute this to who this was, said like, it's like Bilbo said, it'll become stretched like, like butter spread over too much bread. You know, Mm -hmm. if we start, I, I know that there's a ton there in the legendarium to work with, but I don't know how much. Warner Brothers and New Line have access to and what they can do. I just worry about them stretching it out. And I feel like we can see that a lot with um, like with Harry Potter and the way that every Ooh. bookstore that you go into now just has like Harry Potter stuff. Like there's so much merchandise like you can have a Harry Potter anything like it. Um, and it's just like so overdone. And I really, really don't want to see that happen to the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien in general, where like it just becomes so cheap when there's just so much merchandise out there, so much media to consume. Like it's just too much. So I would hope that they would kind of be prudent in what they do decide to put out. And Harry Potter's just become even bigger than Harry Potter because now the brand is the Wizarding World, not Harry Potter. So (laughs) it's... Oh, will we see a Lord of the Rings theme park in the future? <laughs> I mean, I'm down for that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they do, we need to have a live recording episode. There. <laughs> we all <Yeah>. have for... <laughs> um... Instead of the Tower of Terror, it's Barad-Dur. And you take the ride down. <laughs> be anyway. Awesome. So, yeah, as, as soon as more information comes out about that, you know, on future episodes, we'll we'll be talking about it as soon as they announce stuff. So um, we'll definitely be following it. But for tonight's discussion, we are going to talk about the Valar. And I thought this was a good idea because we reference the Valar a lot on this show. And for listeners who are kind of just discovering Tolkien's world, either through the rings of power or maybe because, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of the Peter Jackson trilogy. Maybe they've watched those for the first time or who are just picking up Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. You may not know who the Valar are and to hear us constantly referring to them could get a bit confusing. So I figured it would be good to just kind of have this discussion and, and, and break down these characters and talk about who our favorites are and why. Um, 
the Valar are mostly found in the pages of Tolkien's Silmarillion, although there are references to them here and there in the Lord of the Rings, especially in the appendices. But um, uh, particularly in the Ainu Lindale, which is Tolkien's creation myth, and in the Valaquenta, which is a section of the Silmarillion that basically breaks down all the Valar and who they are. And Valar means power, as in angelic powers. So these are not, these are gods with a small g, as you might say. They are angelic beings that are created by Iluvatar, who's the supreme creator god. And they were there when Arda, the world that Middle-earth exists in, was created. And the Valar are part of this angelic order of beings called Ainur, and they entered into Arda because they wanted to have a part in its shaping, in its creation. And now, in, at, at the time of the Lord of the Rings, they live separately from Middle-earth in their own kind of sequestered land called Valinor, and they exist as kind of these sort of high kings and, and queens of Middle-earth, which, which actually makes me think, when did you guys first become aware of the Valar? in your kind of Tolkien fandom? Well, for me, I mean, you hear about Albareth pretty close to the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. And so mm -hmm. that, I guess, was my first introduction to them. And um, I don't think you learn a ton about the Valar at that point, but that was my first um, time hearing about her and thinking like, who is this? And then you, of course you go to look it up and then you kind of stumble down the rabbit hole and, and begin learning all about them. If you haven't read the Silmarillion before, which most people usually start with the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. So I imagine that's kind of how it goes for everyone. Yeah. I think Elbreth was the first, um, Elbreth Catholiel. That's the, that's the first introduction to me because I, I, on my first read through, I was just so enamored by the random, uh, things that were that the the real stuff uh of the world that Tolkien built that just fell into your lap while you were reading and was mentioned once and then it was like assumed that you just knew who this was and, and so I was like immediately like going trying to find in the appendices where this person is and what what this is that they're mentioning and uh trying to figure it out because there's so many names that it's 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 easy to just say ah forget it I'll figure out who this is later um but yeah, I, re I remember finding that one especially because it was such an important character. It was such an important uh, figure for Aragorn. Like it was somebody that he looked up to. You could tell that it was somebody that that was a, a point of admiration for him and for him to be the guy, you know, like the high king and have this uh, person that inspires him. It's like, OK, well, I got to know who this is. What about you, Jeff? When did you first uh, find out about the Valar? Yeah, I. I'm sure I'm not the best reader. I'm a fast reader, which isn't always the best because I'll like, I'll just get to go into start skimming and be like, cause I want to see that the action and it's not the best way to read it, read Tolkien. So probably when I read Lord of the Rings, I, I didn't really catch any of that. Um, it probably was my, the first really awareness I had is probably when I either I read Lord of the Rings and then I kind of started looking stuff up about the world and the, you know, the, the legendarium outside of the what's in the Lord of the Rings or when I, whenever I actually read the Silmarillion and, and read the Ina and the Valaquinta and actually get to see who all these uh, Valar are. So I probably, yeah, I would say mine was, mine was when I actually went and read the Silmarillion. So a little bit more direct than, <laughs> than the others, but. It's crazy though, to think about um, people who are coming to Tolkien through the rings of power um, because Aule is probably the first of the Valar that mm -hmm. they're learning about because he's getting his right. name dropped left and right in the show. And so, like, I don't know, it's it's interesting to think about the perspective that they're going to have uh, going forward. Yeah, that that's interesting, because I, I don't think the Valar are ever mentioned in the Peter Jackson movies, unless I'm quite mistaken. I mean, we hear about Morgoth, but he's not counted among the Valar anymore. No, yeah, right. So I guess not. And, and it's interesting because like the way I first encountered them was kind of different because like when I first started getting into the Lord of the Rings when I was a teenager, I had this book called A Tolkien Bestiary by David Day. 
and and I know people have opinions about David Day's books. I get it. <laughs> but that that was one of the first Lord of the Rings books like that, you know, kind of ancillary, you know, world building books that I had. And I remember just devouring it and reading everything. And I'm like, oh, there's all this other stuff. There's Valar and Maiar. And I remember just like attempting to memorize that entire book. And that was how I first like encountered those characters. Only much later did I read the Silmarillion and get their backstories in context. And that was uh, that was kind of a revelation because the, the, the Silmarillion is so great. And once you get all those characters in their stories, you know, it is just a whole different experience than just knowing the names and like facts about them. But speaking of names, um, I gathered a list here. Thanks, of course, to the Valaquenta, but also thanks to Tolkien Gateway. Uh, just to double check my work here. There are seven lords and seven ladies of the Valar, and I'm just going to run through them real quick, because in a second we're going to talk about we're going to spotlight our favorites. So I think that uh, the listeners should first uh, know who's in play. Here. So for the Lords of the Valar, there's at the top, there's Manwe, who's also called the Elder King, and he's the Lord of Airs and Winds. He's essentially Iluvatar, God's kind of vice regent over Arda. Then there's Ulmo, who's the Lord of Waters, and he lives alone, unlike a lot of the other Lords of the Valar who have spouses. Ulmo lives alone, and he's one of the most like involved in what's going on in Middle Earth. Then you have Aule, the smith of the Valar, the maker of the dwarves and a very poor judge of character, apparently, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which we'll get into later, I think. Um, Orome, the huntsman. Uh, he was the first to encounter the elves. There's Mandos, who's also called Nemo, the doomsman of the Valar, who rules over the halls of Mandos. There's Lorien, also called Ermo, the master of dreams and the brother of Mandos. And finally, of the lords, there's Tulkas, who's their champion. He's kind of like, you know, I've heard him described as the bro of the Valar. Because <laughs> accurate. Totally accurate. That is very exactly. accurate. Yep. <laughs> and we can't forget the ladies, the ladies of the Valar. The, as, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Caitlin Varda, who's also called Elbereth is the wife of Manwe and Queen of the Stars. I believe one of her other names, Gilthaniel, actually means like Star Kindler or something, mm -hmm. which is just beautiful. That's great. Um, there's Yavanna, the giver of fruits, who is the mistress of plants and animals and the husband of Aule. Nienna, the Lady of Mercy, who is the sister of Mandos and Lorien. And interestingly, the teacher of Gandalf which is a very important character, uh, character detail. Este the Gentle is the wife of Lorien and a healer. Vire the Weaver is the wife of Mandos. She weaves tapestries of time and fate. Vana is the wife of Orome and the younger sister of Yavanna. She's another sort of nature-oriented Valar. And Nessa the Dancer is the wife of Tulkas and sister of Orome. She's also a kind of Another nature there's several among the Valor, there's several women who are are nature figures, which I found is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And Melkor, I guess, used to be counted as one of the Valor because you see him in lists sometimes and sometimes he's not. But of course, he, Melkor, but he's an yeah. interesting one, though, because he's like he was a Valar before they came. Right. To the world because once they come to the world he comes in kind of just wreaking havoc like that's his whole thing is like he just wants to destroy things and so but then there's the question of like at what point was he not doing exactly what he was designed <laughs> to do you know i don't think it's i i don't know if i'm wrong but i don't think it's that he's like his nature has changed and he's somehow not not one of the Ainur anymore, but it's that he's not, he's just not counted among them. I don't know mm -hmm. if that. Right. Yeah, I think I agree with that. 
Yeah, he likes to still call himself a Valar, though. I think in The Children of Hurin, when he's having his dialogue with Hurin, he still calls himself a Valar, and Hurin kind of mocks him for that. Because he's he's kind of let most of his power flow out of him into his various creations and monsters and stuff. So he's become way less powerful than, say, Manway or Aule or one of the others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But of course, he's he's the guy who later becomes Morgoth, the the Dark Lord, the first Dark Lord, and does various things, you know, in Middle Earth, kills the two trees of Alinor. And well, for more, just read the Silmarillion, because <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it all here. Simple as that. <laughs> Simple <laughs> as that. Exactly. So so, um, so here's I've, I've got it before we go into like yeah. specifics. Uh, th- this is one of the things that is always bugged the heck out of me about the Valar, right? Um, For all of the Scandinavian rich uh, tradition that builds the Lord of the Rings, right? There's the trees, there's the elves, there's all of these spirits and everything. It is very clear that the Valar are Greek God adjacent, right? Like they are not the same as Odin and Thor. And like, I mean, (laughs) Tulkas is the closest you get to like a a Scandinavian adjacent God here. And that's the the bro Thor kind of uh, figure, but none of them have like any direct correlation, at least in my mind to, to Scandinavian gods where I can, I mean, very clearly Mandos is Hades, Manwe is Zeus, uh, Olmo is Poseidon. You can almost draw each one of them to a, a Greek equivalent. And Aule it's always is, bugged um, me. What's his name? Aule is uh, the Hephaestus. Vulcan. Yeah, oh, or Hephaestus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, what was going on with, with uh, this is so bizarre. And, like, I've always wondered about that aspect of the the gods essentially in um in the lord of the rings it's just so weird yeah i've wondered about that because i remember reading somewhere that that tolkien himself was not too keen on greco-roman mythology mm-hmm. he, he didn't really like it or greco-roman culture so yeah i wonder why they're so similar <laughs> i mean mandos lives in a cavern and is protected by his dog like how much more <laughs> Hades can you get than that? You know, and it's yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. Before we go to the favorites, that's why I just wanted. I just had to throw that out there because it's always that's bugged me. Point. I love it, but well, it just <laughs> it just kind of shows it's kind of a mix of varying traditions because we have because obviously we as we discussed a couple episodes ago, Tolkien was writing from his very Catholic Christian perspective, mm-hmm. but then he's bringing in as you said the Greek you know, the Greek gods are under the one God and then in the world is, is very Scandinavian. So he's kind of drawing from these, uh, you know, from a Greek, a Scandinavian and a, you know, a, a, a Greco Roman kind of perspective. So I guess it's just kind of, he's like, I like, you know, I like this aspect. I like this aspect and kind of mix them all together. So. <laughs> yeah. I like that though, because I feel like if, if he would have, been drawing too much from only one culture or mythology it would have been really easy to make everything into an allegory and this gives everything so much more depth and richness um, and it just makes it more fun to read honestly yeah i definitely agree with that i it i like that i think he wanted to maybe not make it a one-to-one thing of scandinavian lore so he kind of makes the higher sort of spiritual beings seem kind of more other from that mm-hmm. to give them a sense of etherealness perhaps and it's it's interesting too because like um the, if you draw the parallels down a little more the the uh scandinavian gods tend to be more the elves like the elves themselves tend to follow a lot of those tropes oh. of you know like uh the way that they approach the world and the way that they kind of deal with things it's a lot more in that sort of acer kind of uh vein of things you know so like uh the tree they're very involved with the tree they very they deal very closely with the tree in a more worldly way um but i I just find it interesting that he like put the greek gods in this higher uh higher aspect for him so yeah they definitely don't have the lecherous personality of the greek gods (laughs) yeah that's true that's that is true that that is fair point (laughs) 
because like, you know, Greek. OK, I had to, to to read a lot of Greek myths in high school. And while I enjoyed them immensely, it's also like, wow, there's parts of this that are really disturbing. <laughs> and you don't get any of that with the Valar. Like the Valar. Yeah, I like that. They're this kind of fusion of kind of like the archangels mm-hmm. with. Greco-Roman kind of imagery. And I like what you said, uh, Thomas, that the the elves are kind of the Scandinavian figures because Feanor definitely has the personality of a Scandinavian demigod, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. the kind of tragic, hard headed figure where I'm going to do what I want and damn the consequences. <laughs> the, the, our, our stories will be written to the end of Arda, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess now we can transition into who exactly are our favorite Valar and and why? Um, uh, Jeff, why don't you go first? Yeah, so, I, it, yeah, it was a little hard for me to pick and we were kind of talking beforehand so we didn't all pick the same one, but <laughs> I went with I went with Olmo, uh, Lord of Waters, and I just think he's, so first of all, he he lives in a palace under the under the ocean, just somewhere that probably no one else is. He just hangs out in this, this like cool water palace all alone, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and I also like the fact that he's, he uses the rivers and the other waters of the world to kind of gather news and, and hear about what's happening in middle earth. And he's also one of the one, one of the Valor that's he, if he's not the closest, he's one of the closest to the, to the elves and, and the, and the, and humans, of knowing what's going on with them and, and like wanting to kind of help them out. And he's very present in several specific um, uh, instances where he saves somebody or he gives somebody uh, through, you know, his, his uh, servants gives some suggestions that lead to, um, you know, like he has says, Hey, maybe you should build this city here or, um, you know, do this or that. And um, so I think, I just think that's really cool of him. And, he has horns called, or I guess they're, they're, they're conch shells called Ulamuri, which is fun to say. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think he's a, I don't know. It, it, he's just seems to be pretty cool. And like, as a, I like the water. I like, I live in Texas, not near any water, <laughs> but I like the water and going to the beach and stuff. So, um, uh, so yeah, I kind of, I, I think I, I like Olmo the best, um, but he's, he's close with Manway for me, but. Yeah, almost just a just a cool cool water guy. So almost a great choice. Yeah, I really love the fact that he never abandoned Middle Earth. Like when mm-hmm. all of the other Valar are kind of holding back more, he's he seems like he was always a lot more invested and less willing to leave the people behind and leave everything behind. And he's one of he's. From, I was doing a little bit of brief reading in beforehand and he was, uh, I, I guess I'd forgotten that Morgoth and was afraid of Ulmo because Morgoth was afraid of the water uh, because it was kind of an untamed wild thing. And Morgoth was all about taming and control. So he was, he was always afraid of, of the water. Um. Yeah. And I, I remember hearing somewhere that, Ulmo remembers the music of the Ainur, the best of all the Valar. Like he remembers the details of the song the most closely and that it's echoed throughout his waters, whether it's the ocean or rivers or streamlets or what have you. I thought that was a really interesting concept. Mm-hmm. It's also very cool in the way that Melkor does metal within the music, the way that it has an effect on almost water um, when he's creating super hot heats and um very frigid cold weather like Melkor thinks he's going to be ruining everything especially the water Um, but instead that's how we get snow and rain and frost and and mists and so like that's just their relationship there and the dynamic is really interesting yeah I think Ulmo understands the the nature of the music to be just wild and just and free and flowing. And that's kind of reflected in all the things that he's in charge of, which is just the the passage of water through the world. Yeah. Like there's this great 
Um, I think it's it. Yeah, because I've I've been reading the 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 fall of Gondolin over the last couple of weeks, rereading it, and there's this awesome piece of art in it by Alan Lee, where it's this terrific painting of Ulmo coming up out of the ocean to like talk to Tuor, and it's like if I could get that, you know, like poster sized for my wall, that would be awesome. Like, yeah, Ulmo's great. You know, it it's just when whenever. He shows up in the Silmarillion, you know, the, the story is going to be advancing in interesting directions. Yeah, and he he was the one who uh, who basically led to the Valar coming back to coming to Middle Earth to uh, to aid in the War of Wrath, because uh, he Arendel's wife, he saved her and she gave Arendel the Silmarillion, which led to him kind of getting passage into into Valinor to, to plead the, plead their case. So almost kind of the, he's, 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 he's on the side of men and men and elves and, you know, all, all noble beings. So um, I think he's just, that's really, he, and he, he made an Island to a giant Island boat to get people <laughs> to get elves across, <laughs> uh, across the sea. So, which <laughs> I think in, in some of the other, so other material, he was, he may have had a giant whale or whales helping him, uh, push that oh, island yeah. <laughs> long, so <laughs> which is great. You who never know what to whales. expect with Olmo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And who doesn't love whales and you know sea creatures? So, so Caitlin, who's your favorite? Sure. So for for my favorite, I chose Varda. I'm also called Elbereth. I think the first reason really is because she's the first one that I ever got to meet. Like I said earlier, um, we see her in the Lord of the Rings pretty early on when Frodo and Sam are at, at the beginning of their journey and they come across the elves and they're singing a hymn to Elbereth. Um, but I also think she is really cool because you get to learn more about her and she actually knew the mind of Melkor before the music of the Ainur and she had like already rejected him at this point and then he has this like it, it says in the Silmarillion that um he feared and hated her most out of all of the Valar and I think mm -hmm. that's just like a really intriguing dynamic in terms of the story um but we also see a lot of Marian attributes within her character um, especially her intercession on behalf of the children of Iluvatar I think it's really I don't know. It's just a really sweet character. And I love the way that we have all the stars and um, her connections to the light of the world and the heavens. And um, just the way that. Especially the hobbits call to her and their need. And and it, it seems like she's always listening um, and she's always there to, to help them out. And I think that she's just really cool. That was a good choice. And I think like the the admiration that all of the characters have for her is is really cool because it's just uh she's powerful but in that quietly powerful way where it's not that she's you know master of the oceans or the the creator or the judge or whatever but she's just it, she's the almost the creator of stars i think that's sort of her thing and it's these silent witnesses and light in the darkness those are her kind of motifs which i really enjoy about her yeah and I, I i do like her intercessory power and how the the elves and the hobbits and you know some of the men just really reverence varda and and that oh and that she, she like she created essentially the the constellation of the big dipper which mm -hmm. they 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 call the scythe i think to be like a sign of doom to Morgoth, and that's why it's in the north, because that's where Morgoth had his fortress of Utumno. And I'm like, that's a really cool uh, detail. You know, I like that she has this cosmic power. She's very, very powerful. But yeah, like you said, very quiet. Um, but just something very strong about her and, and unyielding. I think she's a really, a really cool character. So what about you, Thomas? Who is your favorite Valar? Right. So I had to pick Mandos because I love the the concept of the Hall of the Dead and the way that death is dealt with throughout the Lord of the Rings is just so amazing. Um, the depth that it is given by having 
all three of the main races have a different relationship with death, not only in how long their life is, but in what happens to them after they die. And the, the way that builds through the story. So uh, my, my just major props to uh, Tolkien for creating this incredible version of a very uh, just, but not a, a judgmental, um, Lord of the Dead, essentially, which is what Mando's main focus is. And I really like the fact that his wife is the weaver. And by the end of Arda, she has woven tapestries that cover the entirety of the halls of Mando's, which is kind of like uh, harkens back to the concepts of uh, um, folklore where there's there's someone weaving the world you know that concept of the fates where they're they're the tapestry is being woven around everything and every person has a, a place in the tapestry um and also that concept of like it's never finished like the job is never done and so she's continuously weaving around this uh this place that he is holding the dead and calling them to uh so yeah i i just i love mendos and then my favorite part of all of that is that he's like the voice of Manway. So he he does the he does the dirty work, right? Like proclaiming the dooms. And you know, because it's not the thing you want to do. You don't want to be the guy that's like telling everybody, and this is how you're this is how it's gonna go down. This is how you're gonna fall. Um because if especially not if you're if you're the leader, you're not you don't want to be the person that's out in front doing that. So you kind of assign it to your right hand guy, right? Like it's like here, just could you just go take care of this for me? <laughs> and, um, but he does it and he does it in a way that's like really powerful. And so all of the dooms that he proclaims are, uh, they're just the truth. The, this is what's going to happen. Not that you're cursed in that sense of like, everything's going to befall you. Woe is upon you and you're awful. And, you know, but, but no, just look, you've made a choice. This is what's going to happen. So every time he proclaims a doom, it's because it's, it's, a, a problem that that person group uh, whatever has brought upon themselves by making a choice. And so he's just informing them what that choice means, like, like pushing them out into that choice and saying, here you go. You, you chose this. Now here's what's next for you. Yeah. I like his title of the doomsayer. Yeah. It's just really cool. <laughs> And I like how you don't see him very often, but when you do see him, you know, stuff's gotten real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he has a couple of funny moments, too, when Feanor is losing his mind in Valinor and um, and they ask him for the Silmarils. And he's like, you know, if I give you the Silmarils, I'll be the first one to die here. And then Mondas is like, not the first, because he knows that they've already been taken, you know, but um, and that his father has been killed. but. They don't know yet. And then um, and then after Feanor leaves, he's like, Feanor is going to come to me soon. You know, like he's just <laughs> right. <laughs> he's, he just knows he tells it like it is. And he just knows what's going on. He, he seems to be a lot more aware of of that than anyone else. And too, he kind of figures in Baron and Luthien's story, right? Because Luthien goes directly mm-hmm. to him mm-hmm. to advocate for Baron's release and her, you know, being re-embodied and he takes pity on her too which is not in his character you know he's the judge he he's the the he weighs the right and the wrong and the and what a person or an elf or or anyone what their actual the culmination of their life is and with her he he listens to her and makes makes a decision based more on kind of what she's bringing to him about someone else, which is interesting. On on that, there's also the aspect of, of Baron and Luthien needed to have kids so that we could, you know, gradually get to, you know, and these nobler men by introducing that, um, you know, by, by intermingling the, the elven and, and the human races. So there might've been a little bit of, uh, of Luvatar, uh, Telling Mando, say hey, you should probably, uh, you know, let her, let him, <laughs> let let Baron out. Just let him, just let him go. So, <laughs> okay. So for me, it it had to be Aule, and I like Aule for a few reasons. One, because 
he's the great sub creator of Middle Earth. He's kind of the the creative spirit. He's he's the most who kind of wants to imitate his father, Luvatar. And just because that 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 chapter in the Silmarillion where he creates the dwarves and he has that dialogue with the Luvatar is probably hands down my favorite chapter in the Silmarillion. Mm. And since he's such a huge part of it, like I, I can't help but love the guy. But I also love that he's flawed. You know, he has a couple of glaring character flaws that like he's he's impulsive. You know, he he creates the dwarves without anybody's permission and without consulting anybody. And he's also, you know, not a great judge of character because among his students are Feanor, Saruman and Sauron himself. Yeah. <laughs> and the, just the Noldor in general. <laughs> right. Yeah. They didn't do too well. But he's he. Like he has these flaws, but I think that just makes him a more, to my mind, a more interesting character and more. He's the most um, to me, he's the most human of the Valar. You know, e even the little things where like he's he's discussing the dwarves and the Ents with Yavanna, his wife. And she's like, you know, well, like I had to I had to petition Manwe and Iluvatar to create the Ents because otherwise yeah, the elves and men and your dwarves are going to cut down all my trees. And he's just like, they're still going to need wood and goes back to his work. And it's just like, <laughs> which is just a human thing to say. You know, I, I, I just really like his character and I like that he represents kind of the creative spirit. He's the craftsman and kind of all artists and craftsmen, artists of any kind can kind of in Middle Earth can kind of take. Aule is their patron, and I, I really kind of identify him, especially when he's offering up the dwarves to Iluvatar. He's like, you know, these are the work of my hands, and I offer them to you, my father, mm -hmm. not as being in competition of you, but he says, like, you know, any child would want to imitate his father. And that's just so touching and moving, and that's why I really, like, Aule's my guy, I think, out of all the Valar. I'm really glad someone chose him because he was like, he's one of the, one of the most awesome, but I mean, they all are. So it's hard to choose. Yeah. He was up there for me too. So <laughs> they're all great. Yeah. I wish we knew really, more about I, I, no, nobody. Nobody went to Tolkis though. That's, I... <laughs> yeah. I, he's yeah. kind of a fan favorite. I understand. If you can only choose one though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Tolkis is just like, he's a meathead, man. <laughs> he's just like, strong and that's it <laughs> i've, I've kind of heard it said he's like the professional wrestler yes. among the valar he has that kind of larger than life personality yeah and he uses no weapon which is interesting mm -hmm. he just wrestles with his bare hands i mean he's really cool i just like yeah when i'm thinking about my favorite it's never gonna be him unfortunately right I wish we knew more about some of them because some of them are like, you know, Vana and Nessa to me are almost like interchangeable. That we know very little about them beyond their names and that they're kind of nature oriented. Mm -hmm. And right. so Tolkien seems to have fleshed out some of them more than others. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them just ended up naturally more involved in the story that he ended up writing. Maybe that's where some of these movies could come in. Is <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. Like, yeah. hey, <laughs> there is oh, some no. room for exploration here. The bad that oh, they 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 end up like the Eternals or something, you know, like this kind of big over the top superhero movie starring the Valar. No. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> but well, we, but, we, but you know, in, in all seriousness, it might be fun to take some of what you some of what has been done with the the valor that we do know and then repeat a sort of mirror image of it right because we know a lot about the noldor but there are other brands of elf right that we could definitely get more story out of uh that would be really interesting and maybe they attached to some of the other valar in a similar way that the noldor attached to aldi mm. yeah and I mean, there is kind of room because in the very early Silmarillion, when there's like essentially no elves or men or anything else, it's just the Valar fighting Morgoth. 
So you could kind of do that story. There's not a whole lot of detail about it, but it would definitely be like huge and over the top because everybody is overpowered being angelic beings and such. And there's a lot of drama, too, because what is it? Morgoth, he he crashes Tolkas and Nessa's wedding mm-hmm. and destroys mm-hmm. the two lamps and stuff. So, yeah, there's like we, which essentially creates the continents. There's this whole. You know, the the, the fight <laughs> between these people creates continents, which is insane. Yeah, that would be very intense. Yeah. Ooh, I could, I'm like seeing a, a um, Fantasia style like romp through some of the Silmarillion <laughs> stuff. That would oh, be really neat. Yeah, an animated kind of Fantasia mm-hmm. set to music would actually be really, really minimal dialogue or no dialogue and just set to music would actually yeah. be really, really cool. Yeah, that would be I mean, really there neat. you go. We, we're writing this stuff for <laughs> yeah, you, WB. Look. Call us. <laughs> You know, yeah. Warner Brothers, we have ideas for you. But uh, we, we've done something really fun for this episode, which is that <laughs> so Caitlin created this really neat Valar name generating system. And the four of us have used it to create our own Valar names and have come up with like, you know, little essentially little bios for these people that we've created. We've, we've kind of done the first like D and D step and kind of created our character, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I just thought would be super fun for each of us to have our own Valar. So, uh, um, kind of going in, in reverse order, uh, from last time, uh, uh, Thomas, who's your Valar? Who'd, who'd you pick? All right. So, that? so mine, mine's weird because my, my, the first three letters of my name are weird. So, uh, I Same. just, I kind of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just shook it together a little bit, but, um, Fondos, <laughs> which will be the same as yours. I assume the Lord of puzzles was mine, um, <laughs> because, uh, I am, uh, I'm very much into puzzles and, um, and just cryptic mysteries and solving things. I, I like, I like, going down that path so i was i was imagining sandos the lord of puzzles being a somewhat of a trickster uh valar where he encounters and provides riddles like he would love hobbits very much love hobbits uh because of their interest in riddles and uh you know he would uh arrive and introduce ideas to uh to mortals and guide them along paths where they had to solve a problem and they would have to figure something out come up with a solution and that was his uh that's his call but i I definitely think that uh there would be some interest there in the riddle combat between um, between smeagol and uh and bilbo when they when they encountered each other and that's i imagine he is the one that made that such an important part of the story of the ring <laughs> like chaotic good loki i right? like it <laughs> i really like that and i like how you sort of weaved it in where like he has a kind of um subtle influence on the story like a lot of the valar do mm-hmm yeah, they just, you know, there's like little tidbits of them in there. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Caitlin, who are you? Who's your Valor? OK, so mine would be Kavana, creator of. And then this one was tricky because I don't really have a favorite hobby. Um, and so I would say. I. Twitter? That's so embarrassing. <laughs> creator of memes, perhaps? Creator of, yeah, creator of uh, laughter. Oh, creator of laughter. Terrible content. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess, I don't know, my Vala would just be messing around and, and you know, keeping things light and kind of p- rejoicing in community. I don't know. I like that. I think that's neat to have kind of a Valar of joy, of laughter, who kind of makes it her business to go around spreading positivity, kind of. There you, know, you go. Yeah. I like that. But not too serious. Right. Doesn't take herself too seriously. Exactly. I like that. Her, her favorite quote is, this speech is too long, limited to 140 characters. Right. <laughs> too long, didn't read. <laughs> She has a little she's bird. The she most, sends like, her out. Me- yeah, she's the most <laughs> meta of the Valar. 
and like all the others are just like what (laughs) (laughs) everything i say has eight layers to it (laughs) right all right jeff so who are you all right so i had a little trouble coming up with what the what what he is the lord of because I think it was the last thing you bought, which was, which was beer. So, um, I, I instead of just focusing on beer, I, w- so I went with just say Lord of merriment and I'm kind of including, you know, feasting and having, you know, responsibly having a good time with your friends, with, food, with good food and good drinks. So I kind of like to think of him as kind of like a St. Arnold, you know, kind of like the, he's the patron saint of, or, you know, the, he's the patron Valar of, of, brewers and and anyone who like because i like to i like to to cook and i like to i like to eat and i like to you know have a good beverage every now and then responsibly so i think he would just he's kind of and so the hobbits really love him um he's kind of their uh even if they don't know his name they're they uh kind of invoke his spirit every time they're they're together and feasting so um so yeah i think he's just kind of the one that's there anytime there's um people having a having a good meal or good drink or just a good time together um over it's you know over a cup or a table he's there um hanging out with them so um yeah so he's he's the lord of I, like i said i i think i went i'm, I'm gonna say lord of merriment so that it kind of encompasses um you know beverage and in food so um so like a more responsible version of the Greek Dionysus. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> like I said, re, re, he, 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 of course, ensures everyone's having a responsible time and um, not going <laughs> over. The hobbits say it comes in pints. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He created the pint for them. So, <laughs> right. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> like the, the valor of food, cheer and song. Oh yeah, that's, there you go. that's a better way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so mine is Thaule, giver of books. Oh, that's good. Mm. And I envision him as the scribe and archivist of the Valar, who taught nice. writing and bookbinding to the elves. And I had this cool idea where kind of inside he has this mantle. But inside the lining of the mantle are these pockets where he keeps scrolls and books that he's constantly pulling out and either giving to people who need them or just reading them. And I have this idea that he is friendly, but somewhat absent minded because his (laughs) mind is always on some book he wants to read rather than where he is in, in the middle of doing something. So. A, con- a constant smudge of ink somewhere on his face. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, I imagine him having like this magic, like quill pen. I don't know what it does, but I just imagine mm. that kind of being his tool. That's very cool. I like that That's one. That's awesome. That's so creative. Yeah, and I, that, that that one would just just perfectly came out of me picking the things off this, and we'll we'll definitely have this little creator thing in the the show notes so that. Our audience can use it. And and yeah, guys, definitely tell us who your Valar is. If you use this thing to create one, send the name and, you know, your your Valar's attributes to us. And we might read the most interesting ones here on the show. That would be really cool. Did we explain what this is before we started doing this? <laughs> A little bit. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. created it, Caitlin. So okay, you so- should explain what it is. So. It's a little graphic. It's kind of like you see them floating around Facebook where it's like, you know, pick your rapper name and it's like Lil whatever the last thing you bought. So this is pick your Valar name. And so you start out with the first couple letters of your name and then you add your birth month. And there are different endings like January is way and October is Ulkas. And then you add there's a little um, prompt for your favorite Tolkien book. So like if your favorite Tolkien book is the Hobbit, you would say who delights in dot, dot, dot. And then um, it's different for each different Tolkien book. And then at the end, it is your favorite hobby slash activity or your last purchase. So it's kind of complicated. You probably need to see it on the little graphic, but yes, I realized yeah. halfway through this, I was like, did we tell the, the people what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> just making up our own, just wholesale. Yes. So it's fun. It's it's yeah, we'll have a link to it. You can make your own Vala name. 
Yeah, definitely. The, the, this was a lot of fun. And it kind of reminds me of what the the Secrets of Star Wars panel did. Right, mm-hmm. Thomas with creating where they got to make their own characters, their own yeah. characters, and I, and they they had the t shirt too. Mm-hmm. The, maybe oh, we fun. could have like a t shirt where it's us, but as our Valar that we've created. <laughs> yeah, I've wrote these names down. So, like <laughs> an elf with a Rubik's cube. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so yeah, Dom, take note, future merch, perhaps you know the panel as Valar. That would be yeah, really, that'd be awesome. really cool. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so did any of you guys have uh, closing thoughts on the Valar before we end tonight? I think any, anybody who hasn't read the Silmarillion and is is still wondering, uh, you know, why these kind of things are important. Definitely go in and, and read it because the world building that Tolkien did for the Lord of the Rings. Um, was is is so impressive and the understanding that he had of these kind of concepts and the, the really interesting thing to me is that at no point do these characters supplant the concept of god and the fact that middle earth is like is earth and god is still god and these figures are real you know if you if you want to take the legendarium at its at its value these figures are real but they're not gods they may have been worshipped as gods but that didn't make them god and they they all knew the true god right and they all knew uh of him and what his purpose was and all served him and and even when they were doing things like speaking doom it was out of the sense of uh of what they were inspired to do by the one true god and that's it's such an interesting take because you don't get many fantasy novels that don't have their own uh, pantheons that are subject to something real and true like that. And so I really like that about this. It's, It's the Valar are such an interesting set of figures and they, they just thread that needle of, uh, deification so well so that they're very powerful but at the same time they're not the ultimate powers in the world that he's created yeah that's a good distinction to make yeah they're very similar actually i just remember they're very similar to c.s lewis's eldil mm-hmm. from the space trilogy and i often wonder whether there was a little cross-pollination there between the two friends because the eldil are very similar there's, okay there's usually one like high Eldil and Oyarsa who's set over each planet and he kind mm-hmm. of has his own little servants, almost like Maiar. So yeah, I wonder if they and I mean well there had to have been because Lewis mentions Numenor in one of those books. So right. <laughs> there was definitely oh, really? some Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. in he mentions it in uh that hideous strength. He mentioned mm-hmm. and, yeah. and he even says for for more about Numenor, check out the books of my friend J.R.R. Tolkien, <laughs> and it's like, oh, wait, and so none cute. of the Numenor stuff had even been published yet. So, but that's, there's that's definitely really cool. some, yeah, there's definitely some cross seeding going on between those two, which is brilliant. Well, and for it to come from like just these kind of odd throwaway bits in the Bible where it talks about powers and principalities, right? And that's that's what the seed for these kinds of characters is, is that they are the powers and principalities that govern kind of ethereally what's happening in the world. And, um, you know, uh, angelic beings, like just to say that that's what they are. They are angelic beings, uh, is interesting. And then also very weighty because like to take that concept from, uh, a, christian uh perspective and put it in this other creation that's not christian but is clearly christian right (laughs) and 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 to be able to do that in a way that doesn't make it like forced and weird uh it's just it's so clever it's amazing the way that tolkien was able to to put these things together and make them mean so much and uh and still be so analogous to things that we had in the real world Okay, so yeah, I did definitely pick up a copy of the Silmarillion to learn more about these characters because they're so fascinating and we could go on 
forever about them. But uh, that's it for uh, for this evening. And uh, before we end, we'd like to take a moment, of course, to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Michael F., John M., Maureen, Suzanne S., and Adam S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give help us to continue to create the secrets of Middle-Earth and all our shows at StarQuest. And you can join them at sqpn.com slash give. And again, we've lo- we'd love to hear from you guys. We love feedback. Which of the Valars your favorite? Uh, have you created your own Valar? Let us know. Uh, you can contact us at sqpn.com slash Middle Earth or on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Or you can send us an email at MiddleEarth at sqpn.com or comment on our YouTube channel. And you can visit our channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash discord and we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing motherhood in the legendarium of tolkien until then jeff hecker thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of middle earth thank you thomas and thomas sanjuro thank you as well thank you and caitlin fascista thank you also thank you and i just realized we probably should have outroed with our valar names which would have been much better (laughs) i'll remember next time (laughs) Once again, I'm Thomas Salerno, and thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.